Well, happy 30th anniversary, Birmingham Church of Christ! It is so great and glorious to be together, is it not? What a weekend we have had! Many thanks to all those uh, behind the scenes who've organized this weekend. The church formed a committee to, from, from, from beginning to end, and they've done a great job. Uh, you know, it's been a great celebration. Amen. Now, we kicked off the weekend, catching up with the Flemings. They led us to the cross, did a great job Friday night for us. And, uh, and what was really special is we restored uh, Malcolm McFarland. Where's Malcolm? Where's Malcolm? There he is. Malcolm was baptized in the first year of the church, and how special is that to restore him this weekend? I had a great time yesterday uh, with boats and buffets and great fellowship, and today's service has been fantastic. Thank you to Susan's for leading us in the communion. Uh, I was asked to preach, uh, co-preach with Andy Fleming today, and it's a great honor. I, I, I am not worthy. Uh, my wife and I, my wife and I moved in here a few years ago. Uh, she's in Kids Kingdom today, serving. Uh, and you, br- you brought in uh, my wife and I and our four daughters, and you guys have just loved us from day one. Thank you so much uh, for letting us be a part of this great church family. And it truly is an honor uh, to preach to you today uh, with Andy. One sermon, two preachers will do our best. Amen. <laughs> the title of the sermon is Forward Together. And it's, of course, the theme of the weekend. And the 30th anniversary uh, is really an opportunity to reflect for a moment on the 30 years that have passed. But really, we want to make sure as a church that we are moving forward together. Because if you're wondering which way Jesus is going, He's always going forward. 2 Corinthians says He moves us always forward in triumphal procession as God's people. And so uh, we're going to use the book of Philippians, Andy and I, today uh, to help us to capture this theme of forward together. Uh, the book of Philippians is a bit of a, it's a bit of a spiritual family reunion, if you will. The Apostle Paul uh, gets this great vision uh, and a dream to go plant the first church in Europe uh, in the city of Philippi in modern Greece. Uh, And he goes there and he gets whisked away because of some persecution. And years later, he's now in prison, being persecuted himself. The church there in Philippi is struggling. They sent Epaphroditus with a gift offering for Paul, who's who's literally relying upon the church just to eat. Uh, And so it's, it's, it's the scene of peril. And Paul, you know, he writes this letter to the church. So I'm going to focus on the idea of forward through this letter, and he's going to focus on the theme of together. We'll start out here in Philippians chapter 1, how Paul starts off this passage. He says in Philippians 1 verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers in verse 4, for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul starts out by speaking of his joy at the church in Philippi's progress because God is moving them forward. And today, you can feel that in the Birmingham church too, can't you? That God, God is moving us forward. And he goes on to talk about his and their efforts as God moves them forward and how they've got to stay up with that over the next few chapters. And then in chapter 3, he warns them not to give into legalism and works-oriented faith, which is not going forward spiritually, but backward, right? And in the church, we also have to fight against that. And he gives his uh, spiritual CV, if you will. And then he goes on to say here, and we'll read together Philippians 3, verses 7 through 16. He goes on then to say, But whatever... Or gains to me, as he refers to his his spiritual history, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ in verse 7, chapter 3. 
Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, He says, or I've already been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He then concludes, All of us in verse 15, then who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, Progress forward is often about what we really want as God's people. You know, in Christ, by faith, we are capable of great things. But do we want God to work in our life that way? Now, finish this sentence today. I want fill in the blank. Think about it for a moment. What, what do you really want right now? A lot of us think of earthly things, right? A better job. More money in my account. More serious things. Better health. Safety for me and my family. Adventure, more life. Maybe it's it's relational peace. Maybe maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you know. Maybe it's this or that. But but in Philippians chapter three verse ten, what does Paul say? He says, "I want to know Christ." He's in jail. He's being persecuted severely. He's just managing to get by. That's why the Philippian church is sending him money through Epaphroditus. But Paul says, "Hey, all I want is Christ." How bad do we want Jesus? Is a question that bears in mind when we read what Paul says here. And as a Christian, if I want something more than Christ, am I really going forward? And then in verses 12 to 14, Paul helps us uh, go forward toward God. Because, of course, that's the goal of our lives, according to what Paul says. And he simply says, uh, practically, forget what's behind and strain toward what is ahead. You know, we, we are only going forward if it is toward God. And that's my point uh, this morning before Andy preaches is go forward toward God. And as any preacher was, I have three subpoints under that first point. My first subpoint here is to go forward toward God. We've got to have elevated expectations. We've got to have elevated expectations. As I said, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. He's in prison. He's in need. In chapter one, we hear about false preachers that are preaching, you know, Things they should not be preaching. And so his neck is on the line. He's running to a young, persecuted, and even doctrinally challenged church. Yet despite all this, his expectations are elevated. We just read it, right? In chapter 1, verses 3 uh, through 6, he says, I'm confident of this, in verse 3 of chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, how, how does Paul keep doing that? It's amazing, right? His, his perseverance, his, his spiritual strength. Well, I believe he knew whose church it was in Philippi. It wasn't the church of Paul. 
It was the church of Christ. And so it didn't matter if false preachers were preaching false things. It didn't matter if, if, if the man who planted the church was in jail and might lose his head because it was Christ's church. And so Paul, because of that hope that he had in Christ and their relationship with Christ in Philippi, he knew that God was moving them forward. His expectations, they stayed the same. Reminds me of what David said in one of his famous psalms, in Psalm 5, 5 verse 3. He said, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now, do we expect great things ahead in the Birmingham church? Do we expect great things ahead in, in, in Leicester, you know, in the Midlands? When we picture the future, what do we expect? What do we see? And really, our relationship with Christ will determine what we see as we try to move forward. There's nothing more important in moving forward than our walk with Christ. Nothing more important than that. And Paul and David here, they remind us, you know, how do we keep that vision? How do we, how do we continue to elevate our expectations no matter what may happen in the future? Well, we got to pray. Paul says there in verse 3, he says, As I'm praying, I'm reminded of Jesus, as I'm reminded of Jesus, my, my expectations are elevated. And David, he says the same thing. I lay my request before you in the morning, and then I just, I just sit back and wait for you to work, God, and move things forward. More than anything, our walk with God will determine our progress in this church in the future. Now, I read recently about uh, an interesting part of our brain called the reticular activating system. I got my degree in biology, so I try to use it when I can. And it's a really interesting part of the brain. You can study it out later. It's known as RAS. Rory's not here to confirm that, I don't think, but I think that's correct. And and it's an interesting part of the brain. It's on the stem of your brain, and what it does is it is it categorizes cognitive things that are important to you. And an example of this, uh, example of this is your ringtone on your mobile phone. What happens when you're in a place, and, and it's actually not your mobile phone that's ringing, it's someone else's, but you hear the tone. What happens? Oh, you grab for your phone, right? And a lot of times I pull it out, and I'm like, oh, and I look like an idiot, you know, and it's the person next to me. Well, that's because my brain has cognitively categorized that ringtone. There'll be a lot of other ringtones I won't even notice in that room. But mine, of course, stands out. Please don't distract me right now with, if you have that on your, if you know mine. But, but I believe prayer, you know, prayer works like that in our spiritual lives. As we pray to God, as we walk with God as we should as disciples of Jesus, He starts to create these spiritual cognitive categories where we believe God is going to work. We believe that, that, that we can expect great things from Him. And so as we, as we get closer and closer to God through prayer, He starts to help us to really believe that He can do anything. And then we actually go out and live that way. We believe that He can work through anyone. And then despite where we may be at, we still believe God can work through us. You know, fill in the blank. You know, where, where is your expectation lacking today? Bring it to Christ in prayer. Change your view of the future. Change your view of your life through walking with Christ. It redefines Colossians 4, verse, uh, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, being watchful. You know, as we head toward the future, there is a lot we can do, but, but far, far few things are more important than continuing to walk deeper and deeper with God. Now, what is God going to do next? We, we, ha- we have no idea. But let's as a church, as we move forward together, have elevated expectations. Amen? Amen. Second thing here, forward toward God through redefining righteousness. We've got to have elevated expectations to move forward, but we also got to redefine righteousness. 
You know, here in the text in Philippians 3, in verse 9, Paul says he doesn't have a righteousness of his own, right? That comes from the law after referring to all the reasons he could have in the previous verses. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians 3, verse 9. In another chapter we don't have time to jump into, in Romans chapters uh, 4 and 5, Paul refers to this righteousness because of Jesus' sacrifice. By faith we get righteousness imputed to us. In other words, it's just given to us. It's something that we cannot earn. It's something that Christ gives us as Christians. Our righteousness, which literally means right living, uh, is imputed to us through that great work of Jesus on the cross. You know, as a a church... um, just like Paul here, you know, our, our righteousness, you know, was was granted to us through Christ, but it's still a work in progress. Because Paul refers to this righteousness that Christ has given him uh, in verse nine, but then in verse twelve he says, "Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal." And so, in other words, that 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 righteousness has to continue to be recalibrated in his life, has continued to be sought after and attained. Uh, that righteousness that Christ wants to give him. You know, we celebrate today a, a, as a church thirty years. That's that's a church that's 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 not young, amen. Less 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 younger. I think was the word we coined earlier in the year. Less younger. And you know, I've learned a lot about the church here, uh, and I've been a part of this church worldwide for almost almost thirty years myself. And you know, I think the Birmingham Church, in some ways, parallels what our church family has been through in the last thirty years. I think we spent, uh, you know, the first 15 years or so of our church, uh, you know, uh, from 88 on, you know, being maybe too confident of our righteousness. Then we had some real challenges. And in the last 15 years, interestingly, I think we've been a little bit too unsure of our righteousness. We kind of swing from one, you know, one, one way to another. And after periods of uncertainty, righteousness can turn far more toward what we don't do than what we do. Because righteousness is not just, oh, don't sin. It's actually follow up, follow Jesus and live life to the full. Our righteousness is just as much about what we do today, right, as to what we don't do. You know, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, when a religious scheme is shattered, it is not merely the vices that are let loose. The vices are indeed let loose and they wander and do damage. But the virtues are let loose also. And the virtues wander more wildly, and the virtues do more terrible damage. It's quite an interesting statement to think about. When vice is let loose in the church, it's pretty obvious. Because sin is sin. In the Birmingham church, we will not condone sin. We will call sin sin, sin for what it is. But when, but, but when virtues are let loose, we can sometimes think something is actually virtuous when it is not. And I'll give an example of my own life, you know, the virtue of discipleship. I think the virtue of discipleship is something we have to continue to fight for in our righteousness as a church. You know, is our discipleship growing more like what we see in the Gospels? Is our discipleship growing more like what we see in the book of Acts? Or is it growing more like what we each personally want it to be? That's always in great danger in the midst of confusion. It's always in great danger. We do need to evaluate and criticize biblical virtues like discipleship. They need to be done right. They can be abused and misused. But if we overdo this and we do it for too long, it's very destructive. And in my opinion, the more we dissect and critique and doubt biblical virtues like discipleship, the more we lose their essence. And even more dangerous, you know, a new enlightened virtue arises which which feels better, but is less biblical. 
Or even scarier, we can promote a biblical virtue as a vice. Think about that with, with discipleship. Well, yeah, amen. I, I know what the Bible says, but for me... And we pull back. Yeah, amen. I, I know what Jesus calls me to, but you know, I'm afraid that this might harm me in some way. And we pull back. But that's not righteousness. Righteousness is, is defined by Jesus and the way He lived and the way He didn't live. You know, Romans 14, verse 23, I'll just reference it. It says, doing anything without faith is sin. Are we faithful or faithless in regard to biblical virtues and righteousness as a church? James 4, 17. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do, Paul says, and doesn't do it, sins. I'm sorry James said that, not Paul. Does my righteousness promote the good life Jesus lived and, and, call, and calls me to? If not, it's sin. Studies show at the end of our lives, as people are dying, they've done a lot of studies and asked them a lot of questions. The greatest regrets most people often have are, are not about what they did. It's about what they did not do. What they did not do. We will regret faithless, fearful discipleship. And that's as much of a sin as drunkenness or sexual immorality or adultery or anything else. So as a church, you know, let, 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 let's redefine righteousness this weekend. Let's make sure that it's Christ we are following after with our righteousness. And that is as much about what we don't do as what we do. And the good thing is we can do that. It's right there in front of us in our Bibles. It's being lived out as we, as we see the life of Jesus, as we read our Bible every single day. And it's being lived out by faithful disciples in this church every day. And there are many. So forward to our God. As we close out here, and Andy's going to come up, exciting expectations, redefining righteousness, and finally, we've got to fertilize faith to go forward toward God. We've got to fertilize faith. You know, to go forward toward God, you know, Paul says here in verse 13, he says, forget what is behind, right? Strain towards what is ahead. What does this mean? That's a good question. To me, you know, he, he's not saying don't learn from the past. Chapter 3, he recalls his past. But to me, Paul is saying, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Too often we let our past failures hurt our current faith. I know I've been guilty of that. You know, our past failures, we, 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 we must learn from them or we're bound to repeat them. Amen. But God is not, God is not phased by our past failures. He wasn't rattled by 2003, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't surprised. He's not limited by our past. And I believe by faith God wants to waste nothing. By faith God wants to waste nothing. He wants to use our past to help us in our future. I truly believe that. And today as a church, we, you know, we, we have 30 years of setbacks. There's no denying that personally. And there's no denying that collectively. And I'm, I apologize for the last two years of the ways I've, I've added to that at times. I'm, I've added to that as well. But it's an interesting passage in light of this idea. We got it through our Laughter Way to a Better Marriage course we've been doing. Proverbs 14 verse 4 in the ESV says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Think about an oxen's manger. Dirt. Leftover, you know, feed, poo. 
I'll stop there. You understand what I'm saying, right? It's not, it's not a pretty place. It's not a pretty place. But if that manger is clean, there's no abundant crops. There's no harvest. Now let's not let all the dirt and the poo stay in the manger of the last 30 years. Let's recycle it. Let's allow it to fertilize our faith. To change our faith. To transform our faith. To renew our faith. God wants to take our pain and turn it into our gain. That's God's plan always. Reminds me of what Paul uh, said in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Let's use all the setbacks, failures, challenges of the last 30 years to fertilize and grow greater faith for the next 30 years. We fertilize our faith through the pain of the past, but we also fertilize our faith by remembering the victories of the past. We also need to remember the victories of the past. And we have 30 years of a highlight reel. We don't have time today. There's no way to celebrate all that God has done in this church in the last 30 years. I mean, Ben Brady's testimony. Thank you, Ben, for your testimony. Amen. That's that's the God that has worked in our lives. That's the God that has worked in this church that Ben shared about. And there are, there are thousands in like Ben in this city who need who need and want what you have, even if they don't know it. You know how many souls have heard the gospel in the Midlands due to this church? How many souls? For a moment, stand up. Stand up if you became a Christian through this church. Stand up today if you became a Christian through this church. Stand up. Look around the room right there. Wow. Wow. So many victories over the last 30 years. So many victories. Remember, this can help fertilize our faith as we move forward. You know, David in 1 Samuel 17, verses 36 to 37, he's asked by Saul to to take on Goliath, and, 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 and Saul starts to doubt him. And David remembers his victories as a shepherd boy defending his flock. And he says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then he goes off and cut off that giant's head, right? David's past victories fertilized his faith in a moment where he really needed more faith. And led him to a greater victory in future. And it can be the same for us. Church, let's never forget all the things that God has done in a mighty way through our church and through our faith. You know, He has worked powerfully in this church for 30 years and this should fertilize our faith going forward. So happy 30th anniversary Birmingham Church. You know, what... What will God do? What will God do in the next 30 years? Isn't that exciting to think about? Some of us will have a lot less hair. You know, some of us will be married. You know, some of us will, will have children. Some of us will have grandchildren. Some of us will be with our brother Warner in heaven. We don't really know what the future holds, but we know if we go forward with God, it's going to be awesome. Next generation, to the younger people in the room, whom will you follow? For the younger people in the room, I appreciate, I appreciate your zeal, but who will you follow? You live in a generation that, that, that follows self. 
where truth is relative and you have something you have such a gift and the church needs to we need to get our discipleship back and you guys I believe will lead the way please show us the way forward in discipleship to the first generation of the church those of you with less hair and more wrinkles it's not about how we started it's going to be how we finish and this first generation let's finish strong amen today let's go forward toward God with God we can see the future, and the future looks good. And anyone now closes out by calling us forward together. Amen. It, it really is a pleasure to be here, and I thank you, Forrest, for those words and, and direction. Uh, it's good to have direction as a church, amen? amen. And a forward, that's a great direction. Uh, it's interesting, this is a great title. There's so many thoughts and concepts that just go through my mind because as human beings, two things that we really need are just there on that, 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 uh, that title. We need a goal in life. We do. Everyone's looking for one. God created us to do something. He created us in His image. And there's a sense that I need to do something with my life. But then there's also a sense of, I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it together. And actually, I think this is a, it's a really great division of thought here because uh, your minister of today is going to be helping to lead you forward. That's God's plan. Uh, but you know, Tammy and I are sort of your ministers of yesterday. And uh, there's some people even from further yesterdays here. Uh, this number 30 is kind of sticking in my mind. It's, it's an interesting thought. Technically, the actual birthday of the church is the 3rd of April. That's a Sunday in 1988 when the church began. Uh, what's interesting is that's the day after my 30th birthday. So it's weird because, okay, now it's 30 for the church. That means 30 plus 30. Oh, okay, you got it. Um, it, it. It does bring numbers to mind, okay? But uh, I'm here to tell you, life is good beyond 30. And it's even better beyond 60. Now, that's forward for many of you. I got it. I want to talk about just this theme of together, and uh, I really appreciate what Forrest is pointing on about the life of Paul, because Paul had direction. He had ambition. There was, there was always something next for him to do, and it wasn't just because he wanted to be busy. It was the passion of Christ that was in his heart. It was this amazing vision that God had given him, and he, he just wanted to share that with as many as possible. Uh, I've been doing some more in-depth Bible study, going back to school, getting a little more uh, you know, education. And uh, one of the questions that we faced in our, our class, we had to go through the whole New Testament and answer this question, why did the author write this letter? And we believe the Bible's inspired so that God is behind it all. But actually, as we look at every letter of the Bible, there's always a context. And what's interesting is, as you look through the book of Philippians, Typically, we interpret Philippians based on Paul's context, not the context of the church. Because isn't it impressive that the guy who's in jail, already maybe by this time for three years, is telling everyone to be content and joyful? Now, he also says in this letter, I learned the secret of being content. That might have been in year two. 
I don't know that he necessarily was speaking about his whole life there. But what's interesting is that's one perspective and there's something very real in that. Obviously, Paul is writing from where he was. And for him to have that kind of ambition to see the world one for Christ, and he was in prison for at least four years. That's challenging. Man, I know what it's like just to be sick for a week. But to be in prison for four years and not be able to do what I want to do, that would be frustrating. That would be challenging. But what's interesting is, what was the context of the church in Philippi? What was going on there? And uh, there's a little shout-out in chapter 4 where Paul sort of mentions a few members by name. Can you imagine being mentioned by name in the Bible? Um, It sounds like it's a good thing at first. And then then you think about it a little more and you realize maybe it's not such a good thing. Here's a verse we read. It's in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. I mean, everyone's reading. This is a publicly read letter, right? Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, that's uh, in Greek a name, Sigigus, okay? So I ask this other third person, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fel- my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's great positive context, but Paul, near the end of his letter, says, Can you help these two sisters out? Now, I'm very proud to say I don't have any two sisters to name today to the congregation. There's, uh, but if the shoe fits somehow, you know, take it if, if you need to. But what's interesting is what he says to them is, I plead with them to agree. You know, when you look at the context of this letter, this may be the most important reason that Paul wrote Philippians. Oh, yeah, he had something to share, had some great insights. But he wrote this letter because he names them, he calls them out. But there's more than that, and it gets a little lost in the NIV. He says, I, I want them, I plead with them to agree. But what he actually says in Greek is, to have the same mind. Now, if you've been reading through the book of Philippians, you'll realize, well, that's not the first time we see that phrase. To have the same mind. And it's in, and Paul is in fact trying to get through to these sisters by teaching them what it means to have the same mind. And I want us to learn and just thought, reflect on just a moment. What does that mean for us? You know, moving forward, there's a lot of ambitious people in the world, but to have the same mind, to be unified, that's work. I mean, we've never struggled with unity in our church, right? <laughs> Good response. If that's a true statement, simply laugh. Okay? Okay, now actually, we might really cry about some of the pain we've gone through because of the lack of unity. But what Paul is saying, I mean, can you imagine? He's in prison. He hasn't seen these people face to face for three years, but he's got news of the church, and this is so important to him. He's saying, I plead with them, and will somebody please help them? Will somebody help them be unified? You know, it's one thing to be moving to moving forward. It's another thing to move forward together. And see, I don't think God wants one or the other. I think He wants them both. That we really move forward. And if we go back into the book of Philippians, I just want to look at a few places where He says, have the same mind. Okay? 
I, I keep going backwards in the slides. That's not good. Okay, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Okay, so what he's saying? If you're united with Christ, then listen. Because that should cause union and unity in other places too. So he says, uh, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, again, in the Greek we have, of one mind. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, Paul said, I'm sitting here in jail and, you know, I'm content. But you want to make my joy complete? Because we can always take it a little bit further, right? You want to make my joy complete? Will you two sisters just get along? And so he writes a letter between this and chapter 4. We have two full chapters. And the theme running through it is the mind of Christ. What it's like to have that mind. Because sometimes we think unity is we just agree in our direction. That we have a similar purpose. That will make us unified. But actually, true unity will only come by true humility before Christ. True unity will only come because we're actually each one individually striving to be more like Christ. And that, in fact, will bring us together and that will bring our direction together. Now, Paul goes on to talk about Jesus very personally. And if we, we're just going to read this passage, very familiar to us. Your attitude, the very same word again, your mind... Have this mind. It should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, Paul wants the disciples to have the same mind as who? Well, with each other, but that's a byproduct. He wants them to have the mind of Christ. And this is an amazing passage. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, a lot of our disunity comes from we don't consider each other worth respecting. Or we think our opinion is more important than someone else's opinion. It's not Jesus that divides us. And one of the evidences that, that, that Islam uses against Christianity is, look at all your division. But see, why Christianity is so divided really is, one, we just have one Bible, but God has given us free will. And in Christianity, we're not being made into robots or just... Uh, becoming a culture, we are in a living relationship with God and we have to make our daily choices. And so the fact is, if we don't focus on the heart of Jesus, division is easy. I'm going to say this means that. You might say it means this. But what does Christ say? And what do these opinions matter when you look at His heart and what He was willing to do? Christ was willing to give up being in heaven so He could become like us. And then, of course, the great news is that we could then become like Him. Have the same attitude as Christ. Yodia, Syntyche, there's one simple solution. It's not about just agreeing with each other. It's about agreeing with 
Christ. It's having the same mind. And so whenever anything's divisive, whenever anything's kind of dividing people, we have to ask ourselves, so where is my mind of Christ? What would He say? What would He do? You know, uh, I had a really pleasant chat um, with Jackie yesterday at the dinner just talking about marriage. And she goes, I can't believe it. She's been married now 11 months. Men really do think differently than women. I mean, like they really do. And so that, that gave me an opportunity to share about a little conflict I had with my wife the day before where, yes, Andy, you were being a doofus and uh, you weren't thinking clearly. And, you know, I just took offense where a simple sentence could have solved it all. But the problem is I knew some things about what I had done that morning but my wife didn't know about and I just felt a little hurt. Um, you know, Rory's sleeping during the day right now because he's working at night and so, uh, you know, during the day he's asleep and my wife, God bless her, her first thought is, shh, everybody, quiet. Okay, well, I also am concerned about Rory's health and, uh, you know, what happened was at 9, well, maybe it was 10, a load of materials came in. They're doing amazing work on that address. You know, it's not our house anymore. It's just our address. I mean, but that's a little aside. But, well, you know, this load of stuff, hey, a big truck, it unloaded. Rory's car was holding the spot on the street so the truck could park there and then unload itself with this little crane. And so uh, Rory's in his house going, Rory, Rory, just stay in there. I'll go sit in your car. So, you know, I'm... I had some other things to do, but I'm like, I got I to serve Rory here. I, I, I admit that now it's going to show that my heart was about 99% in it, but I did it. I did the right thing. I went out. Rory stayed in. And so, you know, we had a little chat. Then the guy delivered. I sat and waited in Rory's car till the truck was gone. Pulled it into the spot again. I'm thinking, I've just done so great. Rory goes into this room. I go, bye, Rory. And uh, sleep well. And right then, Tammy comes in. She's been out for a prayer walk or something with somebody. And she comes in and she hears me talking to Justin. And she's like, shh, Rory's asleep. <laughs> and instead of going, you know, Rory's awake, I, I was offended. Well, what about my feelings? <laughs> what about me right now? You don't even ask me how I'm doing. I just get shushed. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is... I know my wife. She has a better heart than I do. It's it's softer. It's more tender. I'm trying to learn, you know. But but anyways, it's so interesting because all I had to say is, you know, Rory's not asleep yet. We, we just said goodbye. Just said goodbye to him. You know, a load. Of, I could have said it, but instead I was like, mm. now the mind of Christ was far away. In that moment. And you know, here's the embarrassing thing. Tammy was thinking more mind of Christ than me. But I was offended. Because I wanted to be cared for. You know? I had this little self-interest. Can you relate to what I'm saying at all? Okay? You know, the point is, our problem with this unity is, is simply, we don't have the mind of Christ. And sometimes even wanting to have the mind of unity, we don't have the mind of Christ. Because here's our mind of unity. You need to agree with me. And then everything will be cool. It's the mind of Christ that's going to bring us together. 
It's the mind of Christ that's going to heal our relationships. You know, well, hopefully, who wants to grow in their understanding of the Bible in the next 10 years? Okay. Now, who likes to know, who likes to hear that you don't understand everything in the Bible yet when someone else says it? You know what I'm saying? Like, we have these ambitions to grow, but somehow that doesn't seem to mean we have to admit that there's things we don't have yet. You know, it, it, it's interesting to talk about forward, but sometimes we don't want to even acknowledge where we are or where we've been. The mind of Christ is so important to us. The mind of Christ is he was he had everything with God, with his Father, and he was willing to give it up and to become just like us. You know, we go a little further here. We, Paul uses a couple of examples. This is a, a way of teaching. So if Paul wants to make a point, first he uses his major example, and then he uses Timothy as an example. Read what it says here. Uh, it's in um, just uh, verses 19 to 20. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, no, I'm going to go there. I, I'm going to jump Paul. Paul. Paul already got explained to you very, uh, very well. Um, so if we go into... Sorry, jump, jump. Okay, forward, not backward, Andy. <laughs> backward together. <laughs> Describes my leadership of the Birmingham church. Okay, but we were together. Okay, anyway. Um, so we come into Philippians 2.19. Just read this together. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I, almost, uh, that I also may be cheered, make my joy complete, when I receive news about you, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. See, it's always good. We have Christ, and He's a perfect example, but it's also good to see some human examples too. And so here we have Timothy, and what Paul is saying is, you know, Timothy, he's awesome. You know why? Because he has a genuine interest in your welfare. That's going to be key to us being together. Is having genuine interest in each other's lives. You know, I want to tell you, uh, when it comes to many circumstances of life, we're not the strongest group of people on earth. But there's a heroicism in this church. There's a faithfulness that is amazing. And, And I just want to say too, Ben, I'm so proud of you that you do not let what's what you've gone through these last three years keep you from standing up and just speaking God's Word and loving us. I mean, what excuse do you have? Do I have? Do you understand? I mean, that's ridiculous. But I believe that's the mind of Christ. And I believe that that Ben's exemplifying that and it challenges us. You know, what, what do we allow to keep us from opening our mouths? Come on. And it's a great. It's just a great uh, lesson. Timothy had genuine interest in their lives. You know, Epaphroditus was another person. Oh, I put Timothy there. Sorry, Epaphroditus. It's interesting how Paul describes this. I'm going to send you back, Epaphroditus. He's actually your messenger to me. Okay, he 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 is an amazing guy, and he says he almost died in his service. Again, he's, he's drawing a parallel between Epaphroditus and Jesus. Jesus didn't almost die, though. Jesus died in our service. But again, Paul's drawing parallels because he wants us to see what kind of heart we need. Are we willing 
to serve till death? Do we have a genuine concern in the interests of others? And so it brings us back to Philippians 3, where Paul now uses himself as an example. And he said, all of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. Actually, in Greek, have this same mind. Have this same mind. If you're mature, and then what's he goes, well, at some point you might, and he has, have a different mind. Well, you know what? Let's work on it. That's going to grow. You know, two people get married, you're going to realize just how different two people can be. What? Two parents give birth to two children? It's amazing. They came from the same place. How can they be so different? You know, like, difference is a, is a beauty of this world. Diversity. It's amazing. Unity when there's conformity doesn't mean anything. Unity when there's diversity testifies to God. I, I love our fellowship because if you just look around, you go, well, that's diverse. I mean, okay, look on the age spectrum. Well, it's pretty diverse. Look on the race spectrum. Pretty diverse. Look on the nationality backgrounds. Pretty diverse cultural back. You know, well, we can, we're pretty diverse. But we're all here for one reason. Because of Jesus Christ. We're seeking to have His mind. And you know, we're not always going to agree on everything yet. But the one thing we can agree on is Jesus is our model. And if we all just move a little closer towards Him, we'll get closer to each other. I want to close just with this last Scripture, which actually leads us up to the little challenge to Syntyche and Iodia. Pick this up in verse 17. It says, Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we give you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind, again, that very same word, their mind is on earthly things. It's not on Christ. It's unearthly things. When our minds unearthly things, our minds are on ourselves. So, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand Firm in the Lord, dear friends. Man, talk about some together words. Hey, you're my brothers. You're my sisters. I'm I'm taking a liberty there, but in the Greek language, when there's a brothers for a group, it includes the sisters. It's just the way the language works. But he says, dear friends. Then he names a few by name. Calls them out. Why? Because we got to do this together. You know, what's so interesting is, Tammy and I have been gone for two years, almost exactly. And, and during this last few days, we just sat down and talked to people. And it's like, didn't I just see you last week? Now, if it wasn't for the monster children that have appeared. I mean, that's a, I mean, good news for the adults. You all look pretty much the same. And pretty much good news for the kids, too. I don't know, man. You just, what happened? Somebody put something in the Birmingham water supply. I don't, something is just, you know, wow. Talk about going forward. I mean, 
there's growth here. That's exciting. But you know, seeing also people, they've become disciples. They've made their own confession of faith. They're part of the fellowship. And you can see it. These aren't just children in the church anymore. They've become brothers and sisters in the church. It's amazing. You know, Paul looked at this church. He goes, I want only the best for you. But that can only happen in Christ. It's not about us. You know, if we've got anything good to talk about, I was sharing this yesterday uh, too with uh, Jackie. You know, I had 12 dating relationships that I can remember before I became a Christian at 25 years old. And I remember as a young disciple, somebody asked me, so do you think you know a lot about women? I said, well, of course I do. I've had 12 relationships. And he said, so what do you have right now? And I didn't have a relationship with anybody. He goes, maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. And I think he's got a point. You know, the truth is, it's God that makes a difference. I mean, we've been married now for 31 years and it's just forward together. Amen. That's why. And it's because of Christ. Even when I'm being a doofus like yesterday. You know, because of Christ, Tammy can forgive me. Because of Christ, Tammy's bold enough to say, what were you thinking yesterday when you snapped back at me? (laughs) It's because of Christ we can speak the truth and love to each other. It's because of Christ we know that, in fact, there's nothing we can't go through and come out together. Because of Christ, we have a different view of life. And 30, though it sounds like a big number to some, and it sounds like a very small number to some, uh, 30's just the beginning. No matter where you're at. And God has an amazing plan. And that is simply to move us forward together because our citizenship is in heaven. And we are saved as a church. Salvation comes to the body of Christ. And God wants us to move towards Him together. Well, I'm going to pray right now and just ask the uh, worship team to come up and take their places. Let's pray. Our Father and mighty God, we are so humbled by You and Your Son, Your willingness to become us, Father, become just like us, uh, to take flesh and to live in a human body and, and live a human life. Father, it, it is an amazing picture of just how loving You are and how caring You are. And we know that through Jesus, our life is understood perfectly, even our weakness and our temptation. And we know that through Jesus, we can be completely unified. Father, we know that uh, that we will never be completely unified, in uh, homogenized in our own minds and thoughts. We will always be individuals, we'll be different, and that's a good thing. But Father, we know through the love of Christ and through His example and through putting others, uh, the interests of others above ourselves and through serving even when it hurts, Father, we know that in fact good result will come. And Father, most of all, the most important result is simply the reward of our faithfulness which is being with You forever. Father, thank You for just how much You've done for us. Help us to move forward together in Christ and for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.